All right, hey, why don't you uh, go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Exodus. If you don't have a Bible on you this morning, if you throw your hand up, we'd love to get a Bible into your hands. Uh, so if you don't have one, throw your hand up. We get people who love to get a Bible to you. If you don't own a Bible, for sure, take one of these home as our gift to you so you have a copy of God's Word that you can be going through during the week. And, uh, and, and for now, go to Exodus chapter 5. Exodus chapter 5 is going to be this morning as we track through this series going through the book of Exodus. And, and seeing what God is doing in the book of Exodus and, and what God is doing in our lives as well through that. So get to uh, Exodus chapter 5 if you can. You know, I have, uh, I have three daughters. And, and actually, it was just uh, this past week or, or a little before, we were kind of reminiscing. They, they were reminiscing of all the um, old TV shows or old movies that they would have watched. And, and it's funny, we start to think about if you've got little kids, and especially three daughters, a lot of those movies have Disney attached to them, right? And, and, and a lot of those movies all have the kind of the similar theme that, has, that they have in them, which is this, happily ever after, Right? They all end kind of the same way, and, then, and everything wraps up, everything's great, it's all happily ever after, and, and even if you're the kind of person who, maybe you're here this morning and you're like, no, I'm a little more jaded than that, I'm a little more cynical than that, and, and you know that maybe you haven't had a happily ever after life, and then you know that that doesn't happen for everyone, but there's still something deep inside us, isn't there, that, that is drawn to the happily ever after. There's something deep inside us that resonates with, with that kind of a story where there is a happily ever after. Now, now, now I would say even again, if you're, if you're like, nah, I find that hard and, and I, I, I don't see it in life, but there's, there's very few people. Be, I don't think there'd be many people in here who would say, yeah, in fact, I, I, I so don't believe in heavily, happily ever after that I, I kind of just want to live my life where I just want to have a, a miserably ever after, right? Like, if that's you, bro, we got to talk, all right? Like, let's get together. Let's, let's chat about that. Most people don't kind of go that way. We have this desire, Lord, what, what, what could you do? What does it look like? And we love those stories. But here's what happened. Here's what happened. Because we love the heaven, happily ever after, what we tend to do is this. We play it out in our lives this way. If, if only I could get there, if only I could grab a hold of that, then I would be happy. If, if, if only I could have that relationship. If only I could get married or if only I could have a date with that person. If, if only this relationship I'm in right now, if it could be healed and restored, then I'd be happy. If, if, if only that dream I have could be realized, if, if only I could get that approval of that person, if, if only I could find that career that, that I'm looking for, if, if, if only what's going on in my family could happen this way, if only this happens, then I would be happy. Here's what I've discovered in my short life. It's this, that there are things we go after and maybe you're there too. The, the more you seek after those things, you, you start to recognize they don't provide the hope that you're looking for. They, they bring some joy. We go after those things and we, we do experience some joy in them, but, but they never deliver the depth of joy and hope and identity and purpose that we were hoping that they would. And so here's what I want us to see this morning as we go through this passage. I want us to see this, that God wants to build in you a foundation of faith in him that is unshakable. We're going to look at what God's doing here in Exodus 5, and I'm telling you, it does not make sense. If you just stayed, if all you had was Exodus 5, if you didn't have Exodus 6 and, and going on, it was like, man, God does not make sense. What is he doing here? He, here's, here's what he's doing. I'm, I'm kind of giving the whole point of the message right here. 
It's this, that God wants to build in you a, a foundation of faith in him that is unshakable. A faith that will endure. A, a faith that will remain just as solid in the midst of your successes and in the midst of your failures and suffering, whatever circumstances comes into your life. And so my, my prayer is that, that we would leave here this morning, that you could leave here this morning having, having an answer to that question of, is my faith in God built on a foundation that cannot be shaken? So let's catch up to where we are here in Exodus chapter 5 before we dig into the, the text here. Let, let me catch you up. So God has heard the cries of his people that are enslaved in Egypt, and God's heard the cries. And, and here's what happened. God doesn't just swoop in and go, I'm just going to rescue them. What does he do? Instead, he, he builds up this guy named Moses. Moses, this little Hebrew baby, rescued and adopted, then raised in Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, raised in his home, raised up to be this unbelievable leader, the best education, the best leadership, and you think, oh, this is it. Now God's going to do it, but instead, instead, God says, no, I, I still have some more work to do on Moses, and he sends him out in the wilderness to grow him in humility. And then God shows up. After 40 years of Moses finally being readied enough in humility, God shows up. This, this burning bush calls Moses and says, hey, go tell my people. I see them. I see the suffering and the hurting. I understand their hardship, and I'm going to rescue them. I'm going to set them fully free. And, and he gives Moses these miraculous signs saying, hey, this will validate the message so, so they know you're, you're coming from me. And so Moses, he goes with his brother Aaron and he goes to the people of Israel. If you get your Bibles, look, look at verse 30 of chapter 4. It says, and, and, and Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. And the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel, that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and they worshiped. So Moses shows up and he goes, guys, guys, God sees your suffering. Here's some miracles to show you that this is for real. And then what did they do? They believed God. And because of that belief, it says they worshiped God. Now you gotta look at those verses and see closely what's actually going on here. Aaron says, God's going to rescue you. Moses does these miraculous things, then they believe. They heard that God was concerned about them, and they heard that God was going to provide this rescue, and they worship. And so it seems like right here, right now, man, we could wrap up Exodus right now. There's the happily ever after. Like, God, you just come in, you kind of do the little Sodom Gomorrah thing on Pharaoh, you set your people free. The whole purpose of Exodus was what? That God would have a people who believed him and worshiped him. It says, well, they heard and they believed. Perfect. They're worshiping. Great. Now, now if you've read the book of Exodus, or if you grew up in church, or if you've seen the movie, you do know that God does provide rescue, right? But, but the path he chooses to, to bring this freedom to his people is so much more deep, so much, listen, more freeing, but also so much more difficult. God's going to intentionally bring hardship into their life. He's going to make this rescue so much harder on them before it gets better, before they're set free. Why? Because he wants to bring them true freedom. He wants to build for them a foundation of faith that's unshakable. And so he's not just going to deliver them from suffering. He's going to walk with them through suffering. Bring them through the slavery. To show them, hey, what you ultimately need is not just to be set free. What you need is me. That's what God's saying. 
It's, it's not just about the deliverance. It's, it's having the deliverer himself. That's the foundation that's unshakable. So look at verses 1 and 2 of chapter 5. It says, Afterwards, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord. And moreover, I will not let Israel go. Pharaoh's like, yeah, uh, no. First of all, who's this Yahweh you're talking about? I've never heard of him. I don't know who he is. And then here's the great thing. The, the, the next few chapters, up until God has rescued e um, Israel out of Egypt, the next few chapters, you know what they're all about? They're all about God saying, you don't know me? Let me introduce myself. Pharaoh actually re reveals his heart in this question. It's not just out of ignorance he says, who is this Lord who I don't know. It's, it's, not, just, it's not just ignorance. It moves to indifference. It moves to, to defiance. Now, here's the thing. When you read that, you, you, should, you should say, wait a minute, Moses, you shouldn't be surprised by Pharaoh's response because look at verse 21 of chapter 4. God told Moses this was going to happen. Chapter 4, verse 21, the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles I put in your power, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. God said, I'm going to harden his heart. Now, if I'm Moses, I'd be like, God, I don't get it. You're not making sense. I totally don't understand you. You say you want to free us. But then you tell me you're going to do a work in Pharaoh's heart to give him this courage to actually stand up in his sinfulness to say, no, I'm not going to do what God's calling me to do. I'm going to oppose you. And I, I can be, like, can you imagine Moses saying, do you want us free or not? Listen, God does want us free, but he does not do it in the way we always want it to happen, in the way we think it should happen. Because it's not just about the rescue that we cry out for. God, here's the answer. Here's my rescue. God says, no, I also want you to know me and I want you to have a faith that has a foundation to it that's unshakable. God always says, I've got a deeper rescue than just what you're calling out for. God is so far more concerned with keeping you than he is with making you, making you more comfortable. God wants you to know him, to worship him, to treasure him. And, and he knows that oftentimes that's going to come through difficult circumstances. It's going to come through those hardships where he, he peels away those idols from our grip, where he comes and he says, hey, that foundation you're standing on, I'm bringing a storm to wash that away because it's not a true foundation. It will not last. I want to get away the weaker foundation you're building your life on so that you can see the unshakable foundation that is God himself. And the people here, they, they say, we believe, we trust, we worship. And God's so gracious, he goes, well, well that, that's great, but let, let me expose where you actually don't. Let, let me show you where you don't actually believe because I want you to have a true foundation of faith and worship to move beyond some religious confession that you have, to move, move beyond this whole feeling good and blessed. God says, I want you to know me. So God begins to go to work here. Look at the work that God does. Look at verse 3. It goes on. It says, Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall on us with pestilence or with a sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. 
And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens. The same day Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, You shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. The number of bricks that they made in the past, you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry, let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid on the men, that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. So the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and said to the people, thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go and get your straw yourselves, wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced in the least. So the people were scattered throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. The taskmasters were urgent, saying, complete your work, your daily task each day, as when there was straw. And the former of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, why have you not done all of your task of making bricks today and yesterday as in the past? Therefore, the foreman of the people of Israel cried and came and cried to Pharaoh, why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants, yet they say to us, make bricks. And behold, your servants are beaten, but the fault is in your own people. But he said, you are idle, you are idle. That is, what, that is why you say, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Go now and work. No straw will be given you, but you must still deliver the same number of bricks. The former of the people of Israel saw they were in trouble when they said, you shall by no means reduce your number of bricks, your daily task each day. So what's Pharaoh say? Really? Really? You think you, you want to go worship? Well, you're just saying that because you're lazy. How about more bricks, less straw? So the people, you get what's going on here? So the people go, we believe you, God. We worship you. We're going to be rescued. This is great. We're following God. And then God says, okay, and more trial comes. I'm telling you, God would be the worst prosperity preacher ever, right? If I follow you, will I get rich and healthy all the time? Uh, yeah, no, not really. You'll probably be persecuted. Life will be hard. I mean, what's going on? God doesn't seem to make sense here. But listen, God wants to build in them. He wants to build in you and in me a, a foundation that cannot be shaken, regardless of the circumstances of your life. So God here sends storms, listen, not to hurt us, not to damage us. It's part of his rescue plan. And he's, he's about to reveal in his people here their faulty foundations. Can you imagine how things played out here? So Moses says to the people, God's going to set us free. I'm going to talk to, to Pharaoh right now. And he comes out. And I can just imagine the people are like, yeah, they've already gone home. And they packed their suitcases. They're ready to go. And they're coming to Moses. How to go? Hold on these suitcases. And Moses, yeah, I want to talk to Pharaoh. Yeah, 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 we're ready. Yeah, what happened? Well, he got really mad. It's not happening today. In fact, uh, more bricks, less straw. You can imagine just the sound of all the luggage just dropping, right? Like, you got to be kidding me, Moses. What do you think happened to this newfound belief and worship of God? Look at verse 20. They met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh, and they said to them, the Lord, look on you and judge because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. They turn on Moses, their, their hearts are revealed. They're, they're turning on God as well in that, right? 
The second after they hear that, that God is not following through exactly according to the plans that they would have had, and, and instead their lives are going to get more difficult, they're like, we're done. We're, we're, we're finished with this. They go from worshiping God to walking out on him. They go from saying, we're all in to follow you, to saying, we want nothing to do with you. Why? Why? Because God, you didn't give me what I want. They had this faith because they'd seen the miracles. They had this faith because they believed that God was going to deliver them. They get this freedom, right? God, I'm being obedient. How come my marriage is so hard? God, I'm, I'm following you. Why is parenting so difficult? God, I'm in church here right now. Why is life so hard for me? Our hearts can begin to be revealed that, that, that maybe we have an obedience for the blessings from God and, and not an obedience out of a deep love for God. I just heard a story this week. Um, it was by the author, Rosaria Butterfield, and she tells the story of, of her and her husband, Kent. They, they adopted this 15-year-old girl. She was a troubled young girl, just a life of abandonment and neglect, a life of abuse. And, and they really believed God was calling them in obedience to adopt this girl. So, so they, they bring her out of an act of obedience to God. They bring her into their home and they love on her. They care for her. They show grace to her. Now you'd be thinking, okay, did they do that because they were anticipating a Hallmark movie happening in their home? right? And then the girl went to a horse farm, and she discovered about herself. And isn't that how they always go, right? <laughs> You've seen the movies. <laughs> no, here's why they did it, because they knew that God had called them to love this young girl unconditionally. It was hugely difficult. After she turned 18, she left as fast as she could, and people asked Rosaria, hey, did it work out with that girl, Samantha? And she says in her book, this book that this comes out of a book called The Gospel Comes with a House Key, she said this, she says, did it work out? Yes. Kent and I obeyed God. God is at work building this foundation under us and suffering he brings in as one of the greatest gifts he has in making sure our foundation is sure, making sure we're more and more like Jesus, making sure we have that answer of yes, it's working out because I've got God. The Israelites, they're following God for the blessing that they wanted. They're seeking after that. I, I just heard just this weekend a, a preacher preaching, and he said this. He says, whatever you seek after, you will find it. You think about that. Those, those things you go after, you'll find them, right? If you want to seek after relationships as your hope, you'll find relationships. If, if you want to seek after your career, you'll find your career. If you want to seek after pornography, it's easy to find. You want to seek after sin, man, it'll be there. You want to seek after acceptance or control, you will find it. Jesus says this, seek me. God promises if we seek him, he will be found. They weren't seeking God. What were they seeking? They were actually seeking, we just want the freedom. We, we don't really care if, if God, you're there or not. We, we just want to be set free. And when they didn't get what they were seeking after, they said, we're done. I'd say this, one of the greatest tests as to whether your faith in Christ is genuine, 
One of the greatest ways to see if your, your faith and your worship is real and true is how you respond when God doesn't do things the way you think he should do them. Let me say that again. One of the greatest tests of your faith, one of the greatest ways to see is my faith and my worship true is when, how, how you respond when God doesn't do things the way you think he should do them. I mean, Jesus says so clearly and in Matthew chapter 13, he's given this parable of, of this farmer who's, who's casting out seeds to grow uh, uh, whatever he's growing and, and he says that there's this rocky ground that some seeds fall on. And, and the different grounds are, are the different types of hearts that, that respond to the good news of Jesus Christ, how they respond. And, and the, the rocky heart hears the good news of rescue and, and Jesus says this in Matthew 13 and immediately receives it with joy yet has not root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on an account of that word, because they're following Jesus, they have this persecution that says immediately they fall away. It's, it's that person who has all the right answers. They're in church, they serve. I mean, you look at it and say, man, that person gets it. Like they get Jesus for sure. And then God, in his love, in his infinite wisdom, steps into that life, and, and, and he knows, man, some deeper lessons can be learned here. And then they don't have their expectations met, and they walk away from the Lord. Listen, God's not playing games when he does this. He's not just messing with our hearts. God knows that there's something deeper that we need. There's deeper lessons we can learn, deeper things we can see in an unfulfilled dream, in a denied desire. There's things we learn in waiting, in struggling, in moving our lives off of those faulty foundations that we put our hope in. Uh, and, and he says, I, I'm gonna bring you not to just trust in blessings, but trust in me. I mean, you can see it. You can see the opposite of this in, in the lives of people that you know who have this deep joy. You know what I mean? I don't get how you have joy. I see your life. I see the struggles you're going through. Why? Because they're trusting God in the struggle, not just in the blessing. They're seeing that God is the goal. They're seeking him first and trusting all these other things will be added unto you. That word there, added unto you, it's, it's, it means being put beside you. It's like, it's just gonna be there, that on the way of seeking God, you're like, oh, wow, there's the hope I was looking for. There's the identity that I was seeking. There, there's the, the joy that I thought was missing. It's there. How cool is that? I mean, John tells us, of the same thing that was going on in Jesus' ministry as, as what you see here that God's doing in the heart of the Israelites where, where Jesus was feeding all these people and he's healing all these people and they're like, man, that's pretty cool. We wanna be where this guy is. He's got a free lunch and, and he can heal us from, from all these diseases. So, so Jesus draws this huge crowd and, and, and he begins to as the crowd's coming near him, he starts saying, hey, wait a minute. If you wanna follow after me, it's gonna cost you everything. And Jesus goes from this, this little church plant of 12 guys to this mega church, right back to a little church plant of 12 guys when he says that. Everyone bails on him. Why? Because they say, hey, we, we came for the blessing. We didn't come for you, Jesus. And so, so they all bail. And Jesus turns to his disciples and goes, what about you guys? Are you leaving too? This is when Peter says just this, this awesome phrase, in John 6, 68, he says, Lord, where are we gonna go? 
you have the words of eternal life. And we've believed and have come to know, have a foundation that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus, we came for you. We didn't come for the food or for the healing. We came for you. You're the only foundation that holds. Now, look at Moses' response here, how Moses responds to this in verse 22. Just just gut-level honesty. Moses turned to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you even send me, ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he's done evil to this people, and you've not delivered your people at all. Here's something that's common throughout the Old Testament. You're going to hear that from the lips of a lot of prophets. Jeremiah said the same, man, you tricked me, God. You told me to go, and and there'd be this redemption, and people just want to kill me. I love that honesty, but look at God's answer. We're going to unpack this more next week, but but look at what God says in chapter 6, verse 2. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. We just stop right there. He says, I'm the one in charge. I'm God, you're not. He says, I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say, therefore, to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people. I will be your God and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for possession. I am the Lord. He says, I'm the one doing the rescuing, Moses. I'm the one doing the redeeming. I am. And so you're, you're just going to need to trust me right now that my plan is better than the plan you have, that my rescue is going to go deeper. God's saying, I'm not letting my people build their lives on this flimsy foundation of, I sure hope everything works out good for me, of following just all the good stuff. He goes, I want them to seek me, that no matter what comes into their life, that they would know I am the Lord. God's not playing games here. He's he's revealing our hearts. Why? So that we can move our lives, so we can find true rescue. So the genuineness of our faith and our worship is revealed. Because listen, how you respond to God in those moments when it doesn't work out the way you want it to work out, how you respond reveals what's going on in your heart. When God doesn't play by our rules, I mean, so often we say this, God, God, this is what I want. I don't want fight. I don't want temptation. I don't want struggle. I don't want hardships. God, you just let me go on with my life. You you let me keep my preferences. You let me keep my plans. God, you play by my rules. I mean, it's so easy to follow God in those times, isn't it? You know why? Because we're God there. We're not actually following God. We've made ourselves God in those moments. God, I'll follow you as long as you're not God and I am. God wants so much more for us. He doesn't just want to deliver us from sin. He doesn't just want to rescue us from suffering. He wants us to know him, to be in relationship with him, to have a foundation of him. So here's the hope that we can have in the midst of suffering. 
Listen, if, if you're a Christ follower this morning, the, the difficulty that you're experiencing, the suffering that you're experiencing right now is not God punishing you. There's hope in that. The, there's hope in recognizing, wait a minute, God's not on the sidelines being held back while Satan just goes to work on my life and God can't do anything about it. That's not what's going on. God's at work in it to win your heart, to ensure that when you breathe your last breath that you will spend eternity with him because your faith was real, because you worshiped him, not for all the cool stuff he brings, but because he is God. So your comfort in a difficult marriage, your comfort in hard financial times, your comfort when your health is failing, when the dream is unfulfilled, when the desire is unmet, when the prodigal has not returned. Listen to what the Bible says in 1 Peter 1.6. It says, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while you suffer, while if necessary are grieved by various trials. We rejoice that, that for now, as we're grieved by various trials, and, and Peter's saying you can rejoice in that. And the word there, grieved by various trials, it means it's not just a little bit of hardships. Like it's deep suffering. And he says this. He says you can rejoice. Why? Because the tested genuineness of your faith, which is more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and the glory and the honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter's saying God's doing something in that trial. He's, he's burning away the false foundations to reveal the gold, to draw your heart to where there is actually deep joy, that you're standing on a foundation that lasts into eternity and brings glory to the name of Jesus Christ. I mean, praise God for the trial. Listen, listen, I don't say that lightly. In fact, I say that with a very heavy heart, knowing the stories that fill this room right now. Praise God, he's revealing false foundations. Praise God, he's revealing himself. So, so let me ask us all right now, do we want God or do we want what just what we want? Do, do we want the happily ever after and if we get Jesus thrown in, that's okay too or do we want Jesus? The Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 8, he says, I, I consider the present sufferings here are worthy because when we compare them to the, to the glory that's revealed in us. And so Paul's basically saying this to God, God, whatever you need to do, however you want to do this, if, if it's suffering that's going to reveal your glory in me, then, then let it be through suffering. God, if it's people that are going to persecute me, fine, let them persecute me because there's nothing that can happen to me that's going to keep me from you, and so I just want more of you. And if that happens through suffering, Paul's saying, man, that's okay then. Because if I lose stuff here and now, it's nothing compared to who you are, your glory, and what's waiting for me in eternity. So here's the question. How do we actually live this out practically? I mean, how, how do I get my heart wrapped around that truth? I mean, Mo Moses needed to be reminded in, in Exodus chapter 6, he needed to be reminded that, that God was still working. His promises were sure. His name is the Lord. It's Yahweh. And Moses needed to say, hey, I have to see the longer view here, what God is doing. I have to see the beauty and the worth and the glory of who God is. And so, so then how do we walk this out then? How do we, how do we put handles on this this morning? 
I think it's, I think it's three ways of looking. Here's the first way. Live with the promise of future, of your future in mind. Live with the promise of your future, of what God promises you. In other words, here, here's the thing. You actually know how it ends. You're not trapped in Exodus chapter five in the dark, not knowing, man, is there a rescue? Maybe in your particular situation, you don't know how God's gonna work it out. So what do you do? You look to the end that you know about, the, fear, the future that is secure. You look to Jesus and, he, and, and the eternity with him. That, that's our hope. That's our foundation. We look forward. We dig into God's word looking for this kind of hope. You, you, read, you read chapters like Hebrews 11 where, where it goes through this list of, of men and women who put their hope in what they knew God had waiting for them, his glory for them. And they said, I'm gonna hope in that. I'm not gonna hope in the here and now. I'm gonna trust God's promises. In fact, it is in Hebrews 11 talking about Moses saying that Moses gave up the, the things he could have had in the here and now because he had a future reward that he knew about. The promise of God. So in suffering, live with the promised future in mind. Look at your today with God's sovereignty in mind. So, so look to the future. Another way to look, look at today with God's sovereignty in mind. Knowing that, there, listen, there are going to be highs, there are going to be lows. There's going to be joys, there's going to be sorrows, there's going to be blessings, there's going to be times of wilderness. Let's not be so addicted to the highs of life and depressed by the lows of life. Instead, allow the sovereignty of God to settle you, to calm you, to stabilize you. Look forward to the future. Look now to the sovereignty of God. Here's another way. How do we walk this out? We walk it out by looking back to the cross. In fact, even right now, the ushers are going to come forward right now, and they have the communion elements. We're going to celebrate communion together as, as a way of doing that even right now, as a way to apply it immediately, that we would look back to the cross we look back to the, the good news for your soul, seeing that the, the gospel story, listen, the gospel story is a story of perceived failure that actually was victory. The gospel story of the cross is a story of suffering that leads to the greatest victory you could ever know. So as the ushers go now, they're, they're gonna hand it out right now. Grab both cups, the bread's in the bottom cup. They're stacked on top of each other. Grab both those, hold on to those. We're, we're gonna celebrate together. But as you're grabbing that, here's my hope for us. That you would see Jesus' death, his burial, his resurrection as victory coming out of what looked like failure. That when Jesus was being beaten, when he was hanging on a cross, when he died, when he was buried in the tomb for three days, it looked like God's plan was a terrible failure. Then the third day, he rose again. Everything changes. Listen, this is not just what God can do. This is the central theme, the story of God's word. Jesus said to the crowd, you're, you're following me because you just want the healing. You just want the food. And here's what he actually said. He said, I'm the bread of life. If you really want true blessing, a true foundation, he says, eat my flesh, drink my blood. 
You can see where people are like, yeah, I'm out of here. Here's what Jesus was saying. If you truly want the blessing, a foundation to stand on, he says, you need me. You need to feast on me. You, you don't follow for what I give you. You follow for who I am. And so, so communion then becomes this way for us to remember that truth. And so here's the, here's the thing. If you don't know Jesus, if you're like, no, I, I've never made that step to follow after him, communion is not for you. Let it go by. There, there's something deeper going on here than just you throwing back a cracker and a cup of juice. There's something very deep and real that happens as we gather for communion, that, that Jesus promises his presence here in the midst of us as we remember this. That this bread, he says, that, that, that represents my body, this cup that represents my blood. He says there's, there's something deeply spiritual that happens as we remember this. you as a follower of Christ, what you do in this moment, you're bringing your heart before God. And you're saying again, as you remember the cross, God, I can't do this. God, I need you. God, I, I need your body that was given for me. God, I need your blood that was poured out for me and, and to forgive my sin, to take care of my greatest need, your, your bloodshed in place of me. And so, Jesus, I need you again today. That's what we do in this moment. We say like the psalmist, who have I in heaven but you? There's nothing on earth I desire besides you. I mean, that's the heart of true freedom that God was, was developing in the people of Israel. It's, it's what he's developing, this work in you. And so communion then comes to remind us of the cross. To remind us that, that we can have this hope. We can have this freedom, but we can't have it on our own. You do not have the strength for this. You do not have the talent for this. You do not have the skills for this, the ability for this, the control for this. Nothing on earth can bring you the hope Jesus Christ. And so what do we do? We, we gather together and we remember this by remembering the death of Christ. We, we come back and we preach the gospel again to ourselves. What do I do in the midst of my suffering? I remember what Jesus accomplished for me. And so we take the bread. The Bible says that on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. He gave it to his disciples. He said, eat this in remembrance of me. And so this morning as you eat this, if there's suffering and brokenness, if your dreams are being denied right now, you have an opportunity to say, God, they're yours. Because of you. I can't do it anyway. I need you. Let's eat together. This is the same way he took the cup. So this is the blood of the new covenant. This, this is your hope. This is your joy. This is what brings life. So again, we come and say, Jesus, I need this. I need you. I need your hope. Let's drink together. I'll tell you this, in, in over two decades of ministry, one thing has been shown pretty clearly to me, and it's this. There are three categories of people here this morning. Three categories. One is this, you're going through suffering right now. Here's a second category, you're just coming out of suffering. Here's a third category, you will be experiencing suffering. That's it. So, so, so you, you can't sit here going, man, what's this have to do with me? Like, my life's going pretty good, man, it's coming. It's coming. Why? Because God's a good God. 
because he's gracious. So what do we do? We look back and we see the cross again. We see that God is at work. We see that God's at work even through his suffering. Why? To bring about a resurrection for your good and for his glory. That, that we know that Jesus, you suffered once and for all. And you paid a price that we no longer have to pay, that our, our sins now fully forgiven as we put our trust in you alone and our trust in this. God, you're in control. You are the Lord and I'm not. You're the one who gives my hope. You're the one who gives my identity. You're the one who gives me a security that cannot be broken. You're the one who gives me these things. These things I strive for horizontally, grabbing after these, God, I've got these in you. It's in you, Lord Jesus. All that I have in Jesus and the world can't touch that. Why? Because you can say, because of the cross, my deepest need has been met. God has resolved it all. And, and so this pain I'm experiencing even now, Lord, let it remind me of the suffering of Jesus and the joy that I am going to experience when I see him in heaven. Listen, the happily ever after is so much greater than we could ever have imagined. Happily ever after is actually ours in Jesus Christ because of what he's done for us on the cross. It's ours because you as a Christ follower have the spirit of God in you, at work in you. It's ours because you have a guaranteed hope and a future with God. It's ours. It's ours in Christ. Here's the thing. It might not come in the timeline that, that, that you have planned out. I can't stand up here and say, hey, in your suffering right now, I, mean, I can tell you how it's going to be played out. I can tell you when it's going to happen, when the rescue will happen. I, I don't know that. But here's what I can promise. God says here in Exodus 6, I will bring you out of the curse. I will deliver you. I will redeem you. I will make you mine. I will be your God. I will bring you out. I will give to you. I am the Lord. In this life, you will have trouble. But take heart, because I'm overcome the world. He says, I'm not leaving you. I'm not forsaking you. I'm standing here right with you, and I'm leading you through what you're in right now, and I will bring you to the end, and you will be with me forever. That's all. Would you stand with me as I pray? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the hope that we have stand here today not in our own strength. We stand here today not in our own wisdom, God. We, we don't know. We don't know how you're working all things out, but here's what we do know. We know that you're at work. God, our struggles may be, may be heavy. Our foes might be a lot. But we can stand. We can stand knowing that the victory has already been won. So Lord God, would you, would you preach that to us even today? Would you be at work in our hearts today that we would be able to stand on that foundation. God, continue by your grace to remove from our hands the idols we cling to, wash away from under our feet the foundations we stand on that are horizontal. God, that we would see you and you alone, that we could stand with a true joy, that we could, we could stand with a, a, a true 